today's joke. Politicians and diapers have one thing in common. They should both be changed regularly. And for the same reason, they're both full of crap. Welcome to the Young Muslima podcast, a platform where we talk about life, wellness and spirituality. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. How are you? I am good, alhamdulillah. How are you? I'm good too, alhamdulillah. Actually, I think I'm a bit less than good, which is good enough sometimes. Okay. <laughs> it's just, I think it's important that we make it okay for people to say that they're not great. Yeah. Yeah. We've lied to ourselves enough. Yeah, but I'm good today. I'm yeah. a little physically tired, but I'm good. You're good. Okay. Um, so, thank you so much for um, agreeing to be a part of this podcast. No like I tell everyone who is up for it, it means a lot. And obviously, I wanted you to be a part of it because I think there's something in you and there's something about you that I think would inspire a few other young Muslims, inshallah. So, just like how I've enjoyed being in your company, I'm sure someone else is going to enjoy at least listening to your thoughts, inshallah. That's so. the goal. <laughs> yes. So, first question. Okay. Can you tell me about who you are? Uh, that is very vague. <laughs> I am... Firstly, I'm a psychology student about to graduate. Uh, I mean, that's the first thing I tell people. And then I tell them where I'm from. I am Japanese. And then they ask me, oh, but you don't look Japanese. And then I end up telling them that I am half Indian. My mom is Indian. My mom is Japanese. Uh, My dad is Indian. But I've lived most of my life outside Japan. So I am like a third culture kid. Okay. Yeah. And where have you lived outside Japan? Sorry? Where have you lived outside Japan? I was born in Japan, but I've spent most of my life in India and UAE. And now I'm in Malaysia. Okay. So... What was your time like in India? Because you can't remove the Japanese in you. Did it make it difficult for you to fit in? Um, the, the most, uh, how do you call, the most memorable part of India was when I was in, like, in my teens. So like when I went there when I was 14. I stayed there until I finished high school, so um, I left when I was 18. And um, obviously there is a lot of racism, because I come from Bhopal, which is like in the middle of India, and you don't get to see a lot of foreign looking people there. So you know, anyone with small eyes is considered either Chinese or Nepali. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so yeah, I would get laughed at, I would get stared at, uh, but that didn't bother me that much. But what was weird was that, you know, people treated me better often than other people. So like when I was at school, I would get special treatment compared to my other classmates and that really made me think why just because I'm Japanese they treat me better and you know it's hard to uh, I mean it's a little silly to question why because I guess it's normal to be fascinated by people from a superior country uh uh, but yeah, that's how it is, but it still makes me feel weird. That's a little gist of my life in India. 
but you were also among the students who did well in school. That's the problem. Because I do well in school, um, I get treated better. But then me being good at school is often attributed to me being Japanese and to me being raised outside India. So like there is the envy. I've been told very randomly by people, Zubia, you have no idea how lucky you are, with no further explanation. <laughs> yeah. So has being Japan has well you said you spent most of your life outside Japan, but is there any part of the Japanese culture that might have benefited you or made a difference? The only Japanese culture that I know is what my mom taught me. Mm-hmm. And from like the few months that I'd spend in Japan every summer vacation. Uh, honestly, I never really identified with the Japanese culture because I didn't live there and I never got the chance to value um, value their culture, you know. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, what was the question again? If their culture has affected you in any way. Affected me? Um... Uh, not really. I mean, I've always seen myself as a more Indian person, or at least international. Uh, yeah. When you talk about Japanese culture, there are like a few things that come to mind. One being their uh, politeness, their overly nice uh, exterior, as opposed to their uh bitter insides uh their their workaholic culture um their the conformity over there but then none of these things really affected me i just do whatever when i go to japan in within its limits obviously yeah so you, uh, so you said you feel more you feel more like you're Indian mm-hmm. but I'm assuming when you're in India you're constantly reminded of the fact that you are Japanese and when you're in Japan you're probably constantly reminded of the fact that you're Indian yeah so have you ever had that identity crisis of course that's not even a question <laughs> um when I was in UAE, things were convenient because I could just um, wear the label of being a non-Arab and I could just blend in. You know, they used to call uh, the international kids at school specials, so I was just one of the specials. Oh. But yeah, it's, it's weird. It was an Arab school. Okay. But when I go to India, uh, they don't see me as a part of them. Um, yeah, I'm always treated as a foreigner, uh, but except that in India, it's in a good way. Like, you know, you get respect for being a foreigner. Uh, that is, as long as they know you're Japanese. If they think you're Chinese or Nepali, then they'd mock you. Uh, but on the other hand, when you're in Japan, um, it's a white supremacy over there, right? So Mm -hmm. all foreigners, apart from white people, are below Japanese. So you get a lot of mistreatment there. Uh, I have tried to throw away my Japanese identity uh, a few times because, you know, I hate it when people like me just because I'm Japanese. Obviously, no one's going to like me just because I'm Indian, so I didn't have to worry about that. (laughs) Uh, but the fact that I got so much respect for being Japanese always really bothered me. And I really have considered not introducing myself as Japanese, you know. Especially, like, even until recently, when taxi drivers ask me, where are you from? And I tell them I'm Japanese. Their attitude changes completely. So I was like, I should probably introduce myself as an American-born Chinese. You're Ameri- you're what? Oh, okay. 
Yeah, because <laughs> like if I just say Chinese, then they'd speak to me in Mandarin. But if I say I'm American-born Chinese, then I'm not expected to speak in Mandarin. So I thought that was a pretty good technique, but then I didn't want to be running away from my identity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, has there ever been like, um, is there something you face a lot where people want to be f- like people just want to be with you because you're the different kid? Uh, yeah, uh, that has happened very often. How does that make you feel? Does it still happen? Uh, now that we're adults, I think people have a little more common sense than that. But when I was in middle school. We were like all girls, but I used to get love letters from girls because I was Japanese. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I come from the country of anime, so yeah, they liked me just because of that. Uh, I had a lot of secret admirers in high school, um, like guys, and then later on, I talked to them few years later and found out that it was just um, an infatuation yeah. because of me being Japanese and a foreigner. You know, like there's a Asian fetish and there's also like a curiosity thing. Yeah. And on top of that, I do well in school. So what's there to not like, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I remember having a crazy incident. I also went to an all-girls school mm-hmm. and there was this junior kid who, for some reason, I think she was really fond of me, which is weird because I was quite strict when uh-huh. I was in school. I was a prefect and I was one of those strict prefects. I, yeah, I, yeah. You have rules and you follow them. Yeah. And so um, I'm surprised that I was surprised that she liked me. Mm-hmm. And it turned out like she had my name written in her room and she had even written it, written it on her palm using her <laughs> and it got so creepy her mother got involved like her mother started texting me I have no idea how she got my number but she was saying you know I want you to spend more time with her and I'm like okay I don't have enough time for my own life here but I just like brushed it under the carpet and then the worst thing in the world happened when the teachers decided to have a meeting with the entire school just to discuss <laughs> the issue <laughs> they're like it was a small school so everyone knew each other and yeah. i'm just like Whoa. my friends bring it up until today it's crazy wow she has tried to message me a few times after that but i don't know i don't know why it yeah. just opened my eyes to the fact that young girls they really look up they really it's like it's almost like they need a role model in their life they need someone to look up to yeah and most often they don't find that right because yeah. they're confined to their closed spaces mm-hmm. so, so you never found out the reason why <laughs> no I and I really don't want to I think I remember there was something about her trying to get me involved with her brother or something I'm forgetting fortunately but yeah I'm glad that door is closed forever so <laughs> so yeah it's kind of weird when girls start sending love letters um anyway so so yeah so uh when i when you mentioned also that uh, nobody's going to be friends with you just because you're indian and i remember how when i came to university about four and a half years ago it was it was then that the whole uh, it was actually uh, when i was younger the nirbhaya rape case that uh, took place in india it really shook me i hope you remember the one where the girl was i think she was a medical student I think she was going to become a doctor mm-hmm. and she was raped in the bus and mm. she died because of it. By the way, this conversation, would, it's not, I'm not going to get into the details, but I'm just saying that um, that incident really scarred me. So I, was, I always had a hard time getting into a public, uh, especially into buses in Sri Lanka. Mm. It was a big decision and I was never comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And then a few years later, there was the incident that happened with Asifa. She was another little girl who was um, raped by some Hindu extremists. Mm-hmm. And I hated India. I made my mind that I hate this country. Mm-hmm. This is a country that just rapes women. And when I came to UI, when I came to our university, I came with that in mind, you know, that I don't mm-hmm. like India. Yeah. And then I met all these amazing Indians. And now mm-hmm. I know that there is like that I'm like a, the only thing left is for me to get that title 
I like mm-hmm. to think of myself as an honorary Indian, mm-hmm. self-proclaimed. Mm-hmm. So I come to realize how um, nice Indian people are. Most, I mean, at least the ones that I've met, fortunately. Yeah. And how um, there's so th- there's so much culture, there's so much love, and there's so much care and concern. And you know, they're like sisters. Indians are like one group of sisters, and that whole thing. I really like the idea. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are very different people out there yeah but yeah so now if someone's now i can't wait to come to india mm-hmm. right i'm i'm that's one of my goals right now and when i know that someone's indian i know that i like this my default is that i like this person and then we'll see what happens after that so mm-hmm. it just sort of makes you realize right how um, media can really portray India and Sri Lanka, our countries basically, as mm-hmm. the underdeveloped barbaric countries, mm-hmm. and while way worse things are happening in other Western countries. Yeah. Of so yeah. So, um, uh, what made you choose the degree that you're pursuing? Ah, uh, I don't remember. I. It was like a decision I made when I was in middle school, seventh or eighth grade. It was like a realization that, oh, I don't have to study biology. I don't have to become a doctor. I don't have to do physics. There is this thing called psychology. You can just study people, and that's cool. At that time, wait, I wasn't. Wait, wait. What? Go back to that. What made you think that you don't have to? What made you think that you have to study biology and physics? Because like that's what they teach in school, and you know, as a school kid, you feel like those are your only options as you go into the future. Like yeah. you have to choose from what you what you're learning in school. That was my perception. Uh, and then, uh, you know, my grandparents, my Indian grandparents, obviously, they wanted me to become a doctor of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's what used to go in my head. If not a doctor for humans, I wanted to become a vet. Um, but then I realized I have more options. I don't remember what introduced me to psychology, but yeah, when I realized that that was an option, I was like, I'm I'm sticking to that. And um, when I when it was actually time to decide if I was going to do psychology or not I was confused because I thought you know the world needs more female gynecologists if Mm -hmm. I could become one I would make a lot of money and I would be helping a lot of people but then it just didn't spark anything in me you know like it, it wasn't exciting and up to the end of high school I had been doing things that just interested me so like I did IB right and in IB you can just choose why don't you talk a little bit about IB because it's not a very it's a really good it's like a diploma right uh yeah basically okay so it's gonna get long but (laughs) it's something that we do in place of things like A levels it's something that you do in grade 11 and 12 and it's a Swiss curriculum, uh, but they have like r- really high standards in some of their subjects. So the reason why I didn't have to choose uh, like a cluster of subjects, I didn't have to choose a stream, was because uh, there are six subject groups. The first one is first language, and then you can choose a second language. And you have to do math, but there's different kinds of math and different levels of math. And then you can choose a science, like biology, physics, chemistry, computer science, and then you can choose a human science, and you can choose an art. But since my school wasn't offering art, I could choose two sciences. Now, most people, when they think of two sciences, they take like physics, chemistry, or biology and chemistry. But I hated chemistry, and honestly, I, I don't really think much about the future, I just do what I like. So I chose to take biology and physics, which is a combination no one in my entire school took, but I have no regrets because I didn't need chemistry. I don't need chemistry in psychology. 
yeah so that's about IP and uh yeah no go on mm. yeah so you're asking why I chose psychology honestly I still don't know cause in the beginning when people used to ask me that question I used to say that you know I think psychology is gonna help me grow as a person and I think psychology I can use psychology to help other people I could become a counselor but now that I'm in my fourth year I don't really care about helping people uh, <laughs> well, not in this field huh not in this field uh, yeah like I feel like if I were to become a counselor I would listen to people's stories and start crying instead of being able to help them <laughs> I don't think it's uh, you know a field meant for me uh, yeah I, I've tried I've dipped my feet into a lot of areas in psychology I've, I've tried clinical psychology but I didn't enjoy it uh, but then I do enjoy the theoretical aspects of psychology I love the experimental part of it so I'm just doing uh, what I like and I might not work in the field of psychology in the future but I'm not sure yet you're one of the very, 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 very few people I've met who's saying that you, who would say that you're doing something that you like mm-hmm. and you're just doing it like in the now. You know, you, want, you said you don't think too much about the future. Yeah. Could you elaborate a bit? Oh, I'll start to elaborate. Um, all my life, I've only been doing, doing things that I have to do. Like, in school, I never really had a passion for anything. I studied because I had to, and I did it quite well. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm just tired of that now. I So yeah, I just choose to do what I like. So for example, in university, I am doing psychology, but I've taken the most randomest elective subjects you wouldn't imagine a psychology student to take introduction to mathematics for engineering but i did just because i wanted to and yeah uh, i i regret it a little bit because i got a b minus but i did enjoy the experience and i and if i hadn't taken it i think i would have had bigger regrets so that's just how i've decided to live my life for now why I mean how does it make you feel what how does that make you feel like some, to be someone who just does something for, know, the, for the fun of it because yeah for the fun of it um I feel sometimes I feel like I should be more calculated that I need to streamline my not my interests so that it takes me somewhere in the future but at the same time I feel like if I do things that I like you know life will life will take me somewhere at the end I don't have to force myself to follow like a set path for a certain career because what is the source of that hope what what is the source of that hope that life will take you somewhere? The source? Yeah, I mean, what... Like, there should be some incident in your life or something that you've watched. Maybe you've watched someone older than you, someone who's lived more, many more years than you. Um, figure mm-hmm. it out in the end. Or maybe it comes from religion. Maybe it ca- it's just something that is inside you. So... Where does that hope stem from? Hmm. I've never really thought about it. But then I feel like I've I have had this attitude since high school, but it increased after COVID like a lot because thinking about the future became so depressing. So I just feel like it's better to do what you want now um 
Uh, you said religion. I never really thought of it in terms of religion, but now that you say it, maybe it does play a role. Cause uh, I don't really worry about the future that much anymore. Cause I I always pray um, that God does whatever is best for me. So yeah, I just think that whatever I do or whatever it happens, it's for the best. So yeah, don't worry about it. Um, do you think this is a privilege you have because you um, you're quite good at studying and you know you're among the class toppers and you've been topping every year in university as well. You've been on the dean's list. Mm. Is that a yeah. privilege you have? Uh, privilege how no, i don't intend to make you feel bad but i'm saying that since you're good at this stuff since you're good at studying and since yeah. you're good at figuring things out you can afford to take this risk risky you know that you can be on the risky side of life mm-hmm. yeah but someone who is a little um someone who has to work a little harder to mm-hmm. get the same results that you do they might not be able to do the same thing. They might not be able to ta- you have the same lifestyle. Yeah, true. Uh, I have been told a lot of times by people, like when I tell them, you know, I don't really plan to work in psychology or I just want to do whatever I like. A lot of people get disappointed at that because uh, since I do so well academically, they expect me to just continue what I'm doing and that not doing it would be such a waste. Uh, but I don't really think that way. I guess it is a privilege because I get to explore um, things apart from what I'm doing. Because you know, as long as you have a good CGPA, people um, will like. Um, they might overlook the field that you study in, and they could look at your other interests and employ you based on that. So. I do think it is a bit of a privilege. Um, and then, you know, when you when the topic of just, you know, just doing whatever you like and, and things like that, when it comes up, there's always the question of financial stability because um, people who don't have the financial means to explore their interests, just, you know, they, they have no choice but to follow a set path towards a certain career. Um, but I don't, I'm, yeah, I have four, we're four siblings. I have two younger brothers. I don't think I have a lot of financial privilege. I am going to have to support myself on my own in the near future. But then that's also what drives me because if I decide to just stick to psychology, I'm going to be missing out on a lot of opportunities because now you can make money doing the randomest stuff, you know? Like, if you know how to animate a logo, that could earn you a few bucks. If you know how to um, even use Canva, you could just make templates and make money. Like there's there's just so many ways to make money now that I feel like uh, even if I were to pursue a career in psychology, I should be doing the things that I enjoy because I could monetize that. Yeah, and then you get you get to enjoy what you do and you get to make money out of it as well. Yeah, exactly. Because especially as a woman, if you are going to be stuck doing something that doesn't that something that you don't enjoy yeah it might it, you know psychologically speaking it might have a negative effect on you yeah. and that in turn might affect the other relationships that you I mean whether we like it or not as women we have to we tend to shoulder a lot of important relationships you know mm. one day we are going to become wives we're going to become mothers yeah we're sisters daughters all of that and Basically, it's important for us to have a smile as much as we can because mm-hmm. a lot of people sort of depend on it. So yeah. that's true. You have to enjoy um, what you do 
and i think a lot of um, the adults they i don't know if it's because of their circumstances or if it's because they just thought that life is tough it has to be tough so mm-hmm. they overlooked that part and a lot of them you know they're quite set in their ways they tend to be very difficult and you know quite stiff and mm-hmm. rigid yeah. because they they spent half of their life working and they didn't really enjoy what they did it was mm-hmm. just a repetitive desk job or whatever it was and it was just all it did was increase their stress even if it did increase their bank balance as well yeah yeah but so it doesn't have to be that way it doesn't have exactly it doesn't have to be that way especially like you said nowadays when there are so many opportunities but we're at a disadvantage right as students of social science degrees you can't really do much with our degree unless you have a master's qualification yeah and i'm as i think i think it's better in india actually you can find um much better jobs with your degree with a degree in psychology mhm but in our case as students from our university we have one more disadvantage which is that we didn't get to specialize mm. so i mean it has its advantages obviously but yeah. it also has its disadvantages because the work institutions the organizations that are open to people with a psychology degree are looking mm-hmm. for someone with you know specialization in counseling or clinical psychology yeah. or anything else but um in sri lanka for example with a psychology degree there is actually nothing that you can do mm. and if you do manage to get a job it's going to be for other skills you know maybe because of because you can do administrative work or because you can do managerial tasks they can probably complete one or two managerial tasks mm-hmm. and the pay is very very low for that so yeah. you spend years studying and spending so much on a degree and takes a long time for you to really get anything out of it mm-hmm. and it doesn't help that you have only you have very little time between your degree and marriage mm-hmm. so you to you know put all of that into you just cram all of it and yeah. it's a crazy roller coaster so yeah I, as students who have a social science degree we have that disadvantage the best thing to do is to complete your masters also immediately although it's it's more enriching to ha- get work experience first but you know it's like a 50-50 do your masters it's easier for you get work experience and do your masters your masters program becomes better for you mhm but that additional skill set that's what i'm trying to get to that additional skill set is the game changer like if you just stick to your degree and just study you know whatever you are studying if it's psychology mm-hmm. just do psychology yeah it's not going to make a big difference like in the future Yeah. When you enter the job market, you don't know what your first job is going to be or what it's supposed to be. Like mm-hmm. right now I'm looking at human resource uh, related positions as well because mm-hmm. psychology and human resources it, there's a bit of an overlap. Yeah. And so I've come to I made that decision because I realized, you know, just because this is what I've studied doesn't mean I have to work in this field right now at least. Mm-hmm. A time will yeah. come when everything will work out. But right now so there is a lot of uh, potential for people who have it skills and for people who are good at coding and people who are good at designing illustrating things like that there are great jobs for them content creation seo management mm-hmm. it's all really important side skills that students should start um considering mhm I've actually and never seen my degree as being at a disadvantage. Like mm-hmm. yeah, I mean you're the first person who has said that to me. Like it's the first time I'm thinking about it. Because um psychology because of how general it is you can pass any like almost any job like as long as you have the skill set of course mm-hmm. for example if you want to do hr and you have a degree in psychology like yeah come come if you want to marketing that also works uh there's just so many things you can do if you have a degree That's in psychology true. yeah i agree with you i don't mean to say that it's a useless degree i'm saying that on its own it might not be so yeah. strong it needs yeah. something it needs like even if you are going to do something in hr or in marketing you might need an additional 
um, a diploma or you might need a certificate course you might need a, 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 another I think um, Coursera offers these um, licenses if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. you need something like that to showcase that skill that you have so your psychology degree helps you deal with people and understand people and that's something workplaces know they're aware of it but on its own without experience work experience or without mm-hmm. a master's degree you know or without a side qualification um, or a side skill set they're not there's nothing that they can do especially i think i think the reason why it's running on my mind a lot lately is because of the economic situation in my country mm-hmm. so workplaces are very picky about who they ch- recruit yeah there are very few jobs available so obviously things are it's quite a special scenario right now Mm-hmm. but generally this is just some advice that i free advice that i give uh, university students that like you said you have to do some additional classes you have to learn some additional skills and you need that because you never know when that will come to your rescue yeah mm. uh well I do a bunch of Adobe stuff like photo editing, video editing. And uh what else? I can use Illustrator. I'm doing part-time right now as a uh it's it's kind of like a graphic designer, but they call it a digital marketer because mm-hmm. they make me do a bunch of other stuff as well. Yeah, but you know, I can do like animation for videos. I uh, animated the Is self- logo. Are you a self-taught? Sorry? Are you a self-taught yeah. designer? Yeah, all self-taught. I haven't really completed a course. I used to do it for fun. And then, you know, people noticed that that's something I can do. And that's just what I do now. How did you make How did people notice it? Um I joined for like other work uh like HR and then they go like oh could you do you know how to edit videos and you know they expect some kind of basic editing but me being a perfectionist i end up doing much more than that and then they see that oh i actually can do it at a professional level mm-hmm. yeah short answer me being a perfectionist <laughs> that's interesting so yeah it goes back to how we have to expand our skill set we can't just stick to one thing and think that's that's it this is my career this is my future yeah this is some um some advice that one of my relatives gave me as well mm-hmm. so um i was just talking to him a, a while ago actually like a few months ago i think and he was he's someone who has a he has done his degree in engineering mm-hmm. and you know how engineers can be their pay can be really bad although they're, they they can do amazing sophisticated things that nobody else can do but they'll still get paid really low rates mm-hmm. and so he was saying that his first job ended up being in a completely different field because when that moment comes when you need a job you need a good job and you might sometimes need a job that pays you more than a job that you might enjoy it depends on your circumstances obviously yeah. So you never know basically when you will be put in such a situation. Yeah. And that's why it's important that people grow and they do they learn some additional skills. Mm-hmm. Like I have a friend who is she's won so many world prizes in ACCA which is um, are you f- uh, do you know about ACCA? Sounds familiar. Yeah, it's it's this uh, accounting uh, something to do with accounting and commerce basically mm-hmm. and so she's won so many world prizes in ACC and she's like a, a, a she's won Sri Lankan prizes she's won world prizes and she's so good at it mm-hmm. but and she can easily become you know a lecturer or work as an accountant as a top accountant and she can do really well but she's choosing to teach she's a teacher she's a, a tutor actually mm-hmm. and she's really content with it and she's actually doing a good job and she's she has a good reputation among um yeah there's like a small group of people who know her well and they recommend her mm. and she's earning well also in that field and she's happy mm. so the other day 
um, my friend who was she uh, was a science student in school and then she did SEMA which is another commerce related pro- uh, it's like a it's like a professional qualification that's what they call mm-hmm. it so she did SEMA and she ended up going in that direction so now she's she's also holding a really good position she's I think she's a business analyst or some consultant or something mm-hmm. for a Kuwaiti firm and so she was just asking my friend whether she's not considering working somewhere and you know are you just going to teach and so she looked at her like what's wrong with that like she couldn't imagine anything other than just teaching which was she was very content with mm-hmm. it so yeah i mean my point is that she she's a very quiet and shy person but she decided to work on that you know she opened up a bit she started speaking a bit more boldly and by working on that simple skill now she's a very famous math teacher mm-hmm. so you don't know i guess like when you when you start working um like when you start working because you know it really it's really important that you work in the sense that you you need the income you know you like you're surviving on that income yeah. when it comes to that point you don't know which skill will come in handy yeah going back to going back to being you know a bit of two different cultures and a lot of several other cultures because obviously being a part of an international community mm-hmm. must have had an effect on you yeah like right now as a university student right because you're never the same once this expe- once you go through this experience you are not the person that you used to be because you know like sometimes i wonder if um, now that i've come back to sri lanka sometimes i wonder if people think i'm showing off or something because you know like you said when you have a friend who is from another country or you know someone who's from another country it's like a big deal in our country mm-hmm. so it's just that it's not the same you know like when i think about when i think about preparing a meal i think about like all my friends from different countries and the different meals that they have spoken about and you know it's just it's a different experience so you are not the same once you go through um, living with an international community yeah how has that impacted you uh, um hmm let's start from this actually zubia okay. what would you say about your identity now at this point in your life my identity okay Um I did say that I have considered throwing away my Japanese identity but yes. the past 2 years during covid I was living in Japan and I feel like those 2 years were some of the most significant years of my life because I for the first time actually um delved into Japanese society and started feeling like a Japanese person uh despite you know looking different and having a very different background because you know I got my driving license I actually talked to my Japanese instructors uh as people and I think they saw me as more than just being a Muslim or just a foreigner and uh, yeah so I, in terms of my identity now I think I have a much better Indian Japanese balance than I used to have uh when I just started university I am not afraid of talking to Japanese people anymore I used to be really scared like there are there are like a handful of Japanese people in my university and I really never wanted to talk to them because I felt like an imposter because you know I am more Indian than I am Japanese is what I always told myself. But now I is like now I just go and approach people on my own because I think I'm as Japanese as they are. It's like a biracial kids thing. Um yeah. What else? So um that's just your cultural mm-hmm. identity. Yeah. What about your religious identity? Because obviously Japan and India are both 
not Muslim majority countries, but India definitely has a stronger Muslim community, mm. a, a more prominent Muslim community, rather. Uh, I guess so. Um, India does have a stronger Muslim community than Japan, but since India is so heavily influenced by culture, I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, India has had much impact on my religious identity because you know people just do what they want at their own convenience like they take off their hijab if they want to show their hair during weddings and that is not a part of our religion Uh, but being in Japan with my two Japanese like half Japanese Muslim friends I think that um, improved my religious identity more than anything India ever did because even though they were born and raised in Japan they're very practicing mashallah they're more practicing than some of the Malaysians I've met over here and that makes me think um, it makes me uh, <laughs> uh, never mind scrap that <laughs> what do you say because like you know despite being in a Muslim minority country if they're able to practice so much uh, it it just feels like because you know over here in Malaysia you see all these Muslim people and then recently I've I feel like my thoughts are all scattered but recently I've started meeting like the Malay people who who dress Muslim on the outside but they don't pray mm. and um, you know like they look Muslim but they don't really have the conviction they don't really have the iman. Uh, mm, the Muslim Muslim by culture. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can't be Malay unless you're Muslim, right? So. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. So, like, the Muslims in India, the Muslims in Malay, they're Muslim by culture. But the Muslims in Japan, they're Muslims because they choose to be Muslim. Mm. Right. I've seen the difference yeah. now. And this is something that I very recently saw like in d- just in the past one year so yeah uh, I feel like I'm kind of wondering now I um, because I have a choice I could either become like the Muslims in Malaysia who look Muslim but aren't very Muslim or I could become like my friends in Japan and I wish to become like my friends in Japan but yeah it's hard what about the international folks like the, not the, no, the non-Malaysians in um, Malaysia uh, very diverse yeah, but they're, it's, they're way too diverse for me to generalize because I've seen um you know, I'm I'm with a lot of different groups now. And I've seen people who are who don't even support movements on like in, in university. Movements on girls having to cover their aura because they think it's their personal individual choice and then the university shouldn't dictate. So there are people who are very liberal like that. And then there are also the people, you know, um, who are, I, I don't know how to describe, but proper. I can't really generalize when it comes to the internationals. Yeah. Uh, obviously, with the Malays, I can't generalize either. It's just that recently, yeah. when I realized that not all Malays pray not all Malays are practicing it was a little shocking 
That's true. The thing about Sri Lanka, though, is that it's not like we do have our culture, but we're obviously not. Uh, our culture is just not as heavy as it is in India, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. So, you have a Muslim community here, but I've come to realize that the Muslim community is in. It's like an ocean, you know. There are these waves, and you have like the same group of Muslims. They can become like really religious when it comes to certain aspects, mm-hmm. and then they can become very um, what's the word? Very um, passive, mm-hmm. very standoffish when it comes to certain aspects. Mm-hmm. Like they'd completely disregard hijab, mm-hmm. but they'll be very very careful about their prayers, mm-hmm. and there'll be people who pray tahajjud like every night, but they cannot accept that music is haram. Mm-hmm. I've met this uh, person who was telling me that he never listens to any scholar. He hates listening to scholars, but he recites the Quran every day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's it's like a very interesting community, Muslims in the Muslims in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. and it can be very hard actually to um, find like you know it. You know how Islam emphasizes a lot on having the right company. You need the right group of people who will take you closer to Allah. Mm-hmm. Because more than family, a Muslim is upon the religion of his friend, his closest friend, yeah. right? So when I was in Malaysia and I was fortunate enough to be around these girls who were, mashallah, like, well, most of them were, maybe they weren't, you know, the most, like, physically practicing people, but their hearts were still constantly seeking Allah's pleasure. Like, it was constantly aiming at getting better for the sake of Allah Mm -hmm. and like they'd always be mentioning Allah's name everything they do it was for Allah's sake and you know we'll do this it's like da'wah and they would like I I would see them take a sunnah and put it into practice Mm -hmm. usually people talk about the sunnah these people would live the sunnah like you know that's the way it's supposed to be they were very confident about the religion that they were practicing and that really helped me also you know like sort of fit into the mold, I guess, the mold that's, that we're made for. Mm-hmm. And now that I've come back, I'm in this Muslim community in Sri Lanka again, and it's like I am rediscovering my Muslim identity. Mm-hmm. Like, what does it mean to be a Muslim now? Like, especially with all the protests going on right now in Sri Lanka, there have been protests going on for a, almost a month, I think, now. Mm-hmm. And basically all the different religious groups are coming together. We are a Buddhist majority country and the Muslims and the the Hindus or the Tamils as we call them are the underdogs. We are the minorities and we are always at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. But right now they've all come together and they are protesting against our government. And so it's very interesting, you know, like how the same Muslims who didn't really, the same Muslims who don't really give so much importance to hijab the same Muslims who are, you know, okay with um, interacting with the opposite gender, but they're quite, re- like, they, they're quite um, strict about their prayers and, you know, different aspects about their fasts and stuff. They are the Muslims who are actively participating in these movements. Like, you know, they are the ones who are confidently doing this for the sake of the people. So it's making me think, like, you'd think that the one who prays the most and speaks about Allah the most is the one who will boldly and bravely um, go forward mm-hmm. if it is jihad or something but now I'm wondering like is there more to it like you know does it take more than just um, I don't know it's just a very interesting thought that crosses my mind a lot these days yeah. so so yeah being Muslim is a very colorful experience Mm -hmm. you know it's like you have different shades no matter where you are and like you said it's probably very interesting to be around people who are Muslim because they choose to be Muslim like it's um, easy for them to just put that aside and be like the rest be like the majority be like the Japanese but instead they choose to wear that hijab and there is something special about them spiritually that's very um what can I say? Very bright. 
if you sort of need that light in your life every now and then you mm-hmm. need to be around people who are muslim because they choose to be muslim yeah yeah uh you know um four years in islamic university i never really like stepped out of this community right so over here it's very easy to practice islam mm-hmm. and like it's very it's like common sense if it's time for prayer it's common sense to go and pray uh and like everything is just common sense but then when you actually step out into the real world even if you're in a muslim country it's different it's not the case and i only realized this when i started working um because people outside iaum are very different um and yeah just now you talked you talked about like uh you know rethinking or rediscovering your spirituality i th- i think i kind of get that because when you're in a community that is practicing all you have to do is follow them but when you're faced with um you know people who wouldn't do certain things like let's say who wouldn't fast with you who wouldn't pray with you that's when you actually evaluate yourself you know like would i do that when i'm not in the presence of people like me obviously so far alhamdulillah i am doing it but then you start thinking about other people as well like certain people they fast in ramadan because they're in malaysia but what if they stepped out of malaysia maybe they wouldn't because it's a it's a very cultural thing over here to fast and maybe even to pray yeah yeah that's true but in a way zubia i think because we are born into muslim families mm-hmm. we can also just as easily become prey to that right that that um sad reality mm-hmm. where I mean if we maybe alhamdulillah Allah has with all humility like Allah has opened our eyes to this fortune this great fortune that we were born into muslim families and so we have islam with us already because god knows if we would have accepted islam had this not been the case mm-hmm. but the you know like when you see reverts give so much importance to small acts of worship that we have definitely taken for granted it really makes you wonder like what am i you know like the quality of our worship and the quality of their worship like you see reverts take i mean think about all the great scholars that we know most of them are reverts mm-hmm. because they know what it means they know the value of what they're doing they know the value of what they are practicing but for us it's sort of you know okay you're 7 you have to start praying now you have to start fasting now it's all like you know we're raised with that idea that you have to start doing this and if you're fortunate then inshallah when you are older you will go through that spiritual journey where you're understanding why you're doing these things and you know you you do it because you want to do it mm-hmm. but if you never make that choice you're always going to be the mediocre muslim mm-hmm. yeah so what made you like um have like, what gave you that what triggered a sort of spiritual rediscovery in you mm being around an atheist boss oh really yeah um in malaysia that's interesting yeah my the place where i work at now my the the company is french so the ceo and coo are both french and they're atheists Um it's it's very strange because <laughs> the boss the NAPDA's boss is married to a Muslim woman and I don't know how that works but it worked. Um so yeah, obviously, uh the environment isn't a very Islamic environment. and my colleagues most of them are malay but they're not very practicing like no one prays at the office so most of the time i'm the only one praying at the office they do fast uh but they don't pray 
So that's why I was saying that fasting is a very cultural thing. Uh, mm. Yeah, so being in this kind of environment half the week and then coming back to IUM and meeting,、uh, you know, the usual people, that's what makes me think. Like sometimes I feel like I'm living two different lives.、Uh, and yeah, I don't exactly enjoy the experience of living two different lives because. It can make me feel like a hypocrite. But then I think it is important that I actually go out and you know, try to not challenge myself because it's not good to challenge your faith, but、uh, at least ponder a little bit. you know, Like if I w- went out of a Muslim environment, how strong would my faith be? Would I be able to cling to it as I am now? I think it's a good opportunity of strengthening my faith. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, that's、um, something that I also think about a lot.、Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, being in Sri Lanka, like, we don't have a very. I mean, I don't remember the last time there was a, a nice. Convention. Like, you know, in US they have the Ikna convention and stuff.、Mm-hmm. There was a time when we used to have those kind of conventions in Sri Lanka. But now I don't remember when we had one. And it's very hard to connect with religious figures in the country.、Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're constantly advised to get, the advi- get advice from scholars, get the fatwa from scholars, get it directly from them. But you can't even reach out to them. Like, they're not even available. How do you do it then? Especially as women, you know, there's no one that you can turn to. So when you are stuck in a community like this, you really do wonder, like, you know, what would happen if Allah hadn't. Guided you, or if Allah hadn't、yeah. like, pushed you in that direction, would you still be the same person that you are, or would you have taken everything for granted? And you know,、yeah. and it makes you compassionate also at the same time, right? Like, you know, because there is like, whenever I meet someone who is clearly not giving their religion enough importance, like, I wouldn't say that they are、um, completely disregarding their faith, but At the same time, it's quite evident that their number one priority is not their faith, is not their Islam.、Yeah. So, when, you meet some, when I meet someone like that, I am often reminded of this hadith that says it's one of the most important hadith in Islam,、uh, sayings in Islam about how a person can be on their faith and they can be really practicing their entire life.、Mm-hmm. And just a few moments before they pass away, Allah can change them and take them、yeah. away from Jannah. And the opposite is also true. That they can sin their entire life and then just towards the end, Allah can change them and be- make them people of Jannah. So we never know. You know, it's sort of like although you have these realizations that okay, there are people who don't take their religion seriously and like what would they, would they be the same way? Would I be that way if I was like them? And all of that, but at the same time, you realize that in the end, guidance comes from Allah and He can guide anyone whenever He wants. Yeah. So, it is one of the most difficult、um, journeys that we have to experience, though, figuring out who you are religiously. I've been thinking, I don't know if you are familiar with、uh, Yaqeen Institute, had launched something called Spiritual Personality a few years ago.、Mm. Yeah. Everyone was talking about it, and I wasn't really a big fan of these personality tests. <laughs> I'm still not a big fan of personality tests, by the way.、Uh-huh. So, yeah, and I am a psychology student.、Yeah. So, anyway, so,、um, uh, so yeah, when he, they brought it up, I remember everyone was talking about it, and everyone felt like, okay, there's finally, you know, we all need, like, we have to touch on so many different things. But in the end, we sort of have to walk on one path, you know?、Mm-hmm. Like, you need to have that direction, that sense of direction. Like, What, do I, what is your strongest suit in Islam? What is the strongest contribution you can make to this ummah? Is it in the form of education and knowledge? Is it in the form of、um, charity? Is it in the form of 
religious knowledge or what is it like as a mother are you going to become a nurturer you have to figure it out figure out how you're going to contribute to the ummah and so i remember when that test came up when that spiritual personality test came up mm-hmm. everyone sort of it sort of helped them figure that out you know yeah. like how they're going to contribute mm-hmm. so it's 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 quite helpful actually for us also to figure out which direction you want to take because mm-hmm. then you can work on it then no matter where you are you know what your responsibility is in that situation it sort of makes it easier for you to figure out what to do in difficult moments mm-hmm. okay so i have taken about an hour more than an hour of your time mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's quite late for you yeah so thank you very much for um for sharing your thoughts no and for being a part of this podcast i will as you know inshallah once i have put it together and uploaded it okay i hope you have a really good night okay and get some good sleep thank you inshallah. for having me and for listening yes. to my rambles <laughs> um okay so jazakallah khairan assalamu alaikum wa Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode. Please remember that we are all figuring things out every day and if there was anything of benefit in this podcast, it's from Allah. If there were any flaws, it's from us. Please share your thoughts with us on our Instagram account which goes as the Young Muslima podcast and don't forget to give us a follow. We look forward to hearing more from you. Until next time, lots and lots of love and dua. Your sister in Islam, Hiba Malik.